Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Music. We're certainly blessed to have so many musical talent here. Grateful for people that can share their gifts. <clears throat> Welcome everyone to Sabbath again. Looks nice from out here. Oh, no, it's not. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks for the reminder. How's that? Good. Testing one. There we go. All right. So it looks good from out here, from inside here. Glad we're inside, though. Glad it's not an outdoor service today. Recently, in messages and youth studies, both here and at the feast, we've gone into considerable detail on the timeline or the narrative throughout the Bible. If you recall in recent messages, we've done it here. We did a little bit at the feast in a couple of different messages. We covered the building of the temple, and we reviewed the historical timeline. We went all the way back to the start of King Saul, through to Judah being taken captive by Babylon, Israel being taken captive by Assyria, and of course Judah, as I said, being taken captive by Babylon in the early 6th century B.C., As part of that timeline, you'll recall that after 70 years of captivity, Babylon was defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. you recall that Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem. He wrote his blank check to allow them to rebuild the temple, which, of course, took too long, took longer than it needed to take. Ezra records how Joshua and Zerubbabel took the first group back to Jerusalem to build the temple, You'll recall they built the foundation, they celebrated the feast, they celebrated the feast, they built an altar, they celebrated the feast. They went through the winter, they built the foundation in the spring, and then things went dormant for nearly 20 years until God sent Haggai and he sent Zechariah to stir the people up to finish the temple, which they did around 515 B.C. approximately. Pastor Adrian, in a separate message, covered the events of Esther, in an in-depth and a, a great sermon on the five levels of maturity. Recall, he, he started off with life is awful, then he went into my life is awful, then I am great, then we are great, and then life is great. And he walked through the life of Esther and showed how she matured from a, a my life is awful to a life is great maturity. And if, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it. If you have listened to it, I would encourage you to listen to it again. And in the timeline, within the timeline, this took place from about 483 to 473 B.C., the story of Esther as it's recorded. After the temple had been rebuilt, after the first wave of Jews had returned to Jerusalem about 30 years after the, after the, about 30 years after the rebuilding of the temple. When you come to Ezra chapter 7, there's a time shift the second, in the second half of the book of Esther. It takes place around 458 B.C., this is when Ezra led the second wave of returnees. And as a scribe and as a leader of the people, he sort of led a revival of sorts, helping to cement God's people with a system of worship that had been introduced, but he helped to cement it into place. He also dealt with an epidemic of people marrying, marrying in, in outside the covenant community. Approximately 15 years after that, as we go through the timeline, Nehemiah comes on the scene. Nehemiah. We call him Nehemiah, as I understand it from those who study Hebrew. His name is more probably pronounced Nehemiah, Nehemiah, because of how the the Hebrew language is. Uh, But it's so inculcated in my mind as Nehemiah. I don't know that I'll ever stop calling him that. So we'll go with Nehemiah for now. He was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, the same Artaxerxes that is introduced in the story of Esther. And his job was to guard the king's food and the king's drink against poisonous attempts on the king's life. And as such, he was a very close confidant of the king, and he possessed considerable influence with the king. So by way of introduction, I'd like to pick up the story here. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And sort of delve into... the setting, the background, the purpose of the 
the book of Nehemiah, where God's people were at this point in the narrative. So pick up at the beginning of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the, tw- in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. Again, we're at the beginning of Nehemiah, chapter 1. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So in his capacity as cupbearer, he is interacting with people, and he finds out that Jerusalem is in a worse state than he had imagined, and the wall the wall is down. The wall has not been rebuilt. Jumping forward to chapter 2, verse 1. You can take time to go through Nehemiah on your own, but just to hit the highlights here to set the background. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. So again, he is the cupbearer. That's his job is to inspect the wine, probably taste it, wait a few minutes to see if everything's okay, and then present the wine to the king for his enjoyment. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. So obviously, again, the king knew Nehemiah. The king had a relationship with Nehemiah. So when Nehemiah's countenance was down, the king immediately knew. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? There is, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may, be, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So obviously he had a good enough relationship with the king that he was initially afraid because he's asking to leave the king's service and to go back to his homeland and rebuild Jerusalem. We know the temple had already been rebuilt, but in typical Judean or Israelite fashion, it was only half done. The temple was done, but nothing else was done. The city of Jerusalem lay, lay in ruins. Dropping down to verse 11, so after getting permission to go, I came to Jerusalem, he says, in verse 11 of chapter 2, and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me, except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, And let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So Nehemiah, completely troubled, that the city, while the temple was there, it lay in ruins. There was a temple to conduct worship, but the city was at risk because the protective walls had not been rebuilt. If you go back with me, to Second Chronicles chapter 14. Second Chronicles chapter 14. We go back in time, in the timeline, in the narrative, to King Asa, chapter 14 of Second Chronicles. We'll pick it up in verse 2. 
This was, as you recall from one of our messages, this is one of the good but kings. He was good, and we'll see that here. Asa, verse 2, did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods, the high places, and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the God of their fathers, the Lord God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. So he had done what most kings hadn't done before, and that is to remove all foreign worship, all temples, all foreign temples, all foreign statues, anything that would preclude them from worshiping Yahweh. And the kingdom was quiet. It's amazing what happens when you follow God and worship God. The kingdom was quiet. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears and from Benjamin 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows and all these were mighty men of valor. So King Asa saw the need to protect the city with a wall. They were, they were fine. They were at rest. The kingdom was, was at peace. But while it was at peace, while things were good, there was a need to build this wall of protection. You'll remember the incredible victory of the people at Jericho. It was an incredible victory because in this time, this according to at this time in the, the military history, walls were incredibly protective. We've got some examples of city walls here depicting walls of fortification. And you'll see how they offer, offer protection against invaders. This was certainly before we can go to the first slide. Here we have, well, it is still in place in Quebec City. The walls surround Quebec City. Now you'll see when city walls were made, they were made from a, a, a defensive standpoint. So it is at the highest place. You can see the valley out on, beneath Quebec City. You can see there's holes in them for, in this case, there's, there's cannons. There, there wasn't cannons back in, in this day, but this offers an idea of how city walls were made. It offers around the, around the outside of the city where they were most vulnerable. Now, history goes on to show that they lost this place because they actually got into the grog a little too much, and when the English came up, they were not in their, their fighting spirit. And believe it or not, despite how great this fortification was, they, they lost Quebec City because of, of, of some of this. But that being said, the walls were set up here to, to offer defense. We go to the next one. We have an example here of the Great Wall of China, the famous Great Wall of China that goes across much of China. We can see that it's built uh, on, the, on a hill. So it's built from a standpoint where you have vision outside of the wall. So you can see in this case on both sides where any invaders could be coming up to attack. There's holes in there for any, any uh, artillery that would be used for a, a vantage point. We have towers built in. The Bible does talk about how Asa talked about how we would build towers and gates. We can see how military history, how these would be made. Every so often there's a tower, lookout offers for lookout, offers place for storage, of, uh, an armory of storage of, of uh, your military might. We go on to a depiction of Old Jerusalem. We see the the, the wall as it, the, the map on the left as it stands on the right, and we can see how at, at, the, at that time, with what was available militarily, how this would be a great defense. The walls are high, so you would not be surprised. You could not be surprised by armies that would, that would come up. You would have a, a good vantage point. You'd have lots of advance notice, and we can see how these walls, thank you, Caitlin, we can see how the, these walls at that time would offer protection against invaders. Just by way of, of note, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1, you can just mark this down, describes Jericho as being securely shut up, securely shut up because of the walls that had surrounded the city. And we can see with a depiction like this how at that time there would be complete safety. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 13. It was read in the scripture reading. 
Nehemiah, we've taken the timeline through to Nehemiah. We're going to go back in time a little bit to the time of Ezekiel. This part of Ezekiel was written after Babylon had taken siege of Jerusalem, but before the city fell. So it was during the intermittent time around 600 B.C., between 600 B.C. and 586 B.C., when in 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell. They lost, they lost control. But it was written during the time that they still had some of their own, their own uh, leadership. Ezekiel chapter 13. So Babylon had invaded Judah at this time, but they had not gotten control of Jerusalem. And the word of God, word of the Lord, verse chapter 13, verse 1, came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts and have not gone up into into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord. But the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision, and have you not spoken false divination? And you say, the Lord says, but I haven't spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace when there is no peace. And one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding rain, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall. And a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, Where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger, and great hailstones in fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall, and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. The wall was actually built. So the God of here, this isn't in a time that the wall was what was actually built. It hadn't fallen yet. They were confident that because they were the chosen ones, God would automatically protect them. Young's literal translation rather than untempered mortar, uses the phrase, they daubed it with chalk. So they build the wall, and they daub it with chalk. You can imagine using chalk instead of cement, what that would do when the rains came. It offers no value, no protection. Other translations use the phrase, they cover it with whitewash. So it's like throwing up some clapboard, giving it a quick coat of whitewash, and making it look like that. But really, you go up to it, almost like a movie set. Movie set, you would look at that, but when you actually were there, it's just a piece of wood with a, with a, a, a piece of plywood painted to look like that with a two-by-four at the back to, to stand it up if you've ever seen clips of movie sets. Note verse 10. We've already read it, but note verse 10. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace when there is no peace. And one builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. When nations, cultures, and governments who don't follow God send messages of peace to God's people to trust them, believing in those messages is like daubing your flimsy boards with chalk or painting over them with whitewash. We can't listen to people who don't believe in God to say everything is fine in this world. We saw this week, two weeks after we heard a pretty powerful sermon, what was going to happen. And it was eerily, eerily timely how, how much after, quick after that sermon that we heard that something significant happened in the world which happened this week over in France. But believing in those messages from people who are not of God, who don't follow God, who don't believe in God, saying there is peace is like daubing your protective walls with chalk and hoping that this chalk is going to keep everything away. 
are hoping that this flimsy board that painted to look like that is going to be fine. We are focused on building a strong, building ourselves into strong Christians. Who, as strong Christians, strong followers of God, are part of a strong covenant community. Who, in turn, are connected to other congregations who are strong covenant communities. All this in the name of a greater cause beyond ourselves. We're about to embark on a more focused vision, a more focused mission here in our little part of the work, our little corner of the, big, of the great body of Jesus Christ. And we have stressed the need to build faithful temples, both individually and collectively. But if we read the Hebrew Scriptures, it is clear that the community was incomplete without properly built strong walls of protection. So much so that years later, Nehemiah was compelled to finish the job by rebuilding the walls. The temple was already built. It had been built uh, 40 years prior to that. More than that. Forgive my math. About 70 years prior to this. But he was so compelled to finish these walls that he left his privileged status as a servant to the king to go back to Jerusalem, a city that lay in waste, and rebuild those walls. One of our mandates is to be the safest place. Our other mandate is to be first in class, be the best we can be. Not best compared to everybody else, but best compared to the mirror of the word of God that God has placed in front of us. Today I'd like to ask ourselves some questions. How safe are the walls that protect us? Are they properly built, or have we used discount materials to raise makeshift flimsy walls? Let's first ask the question, what offers true protection? Let's go to further on in Ezekiel to chapter 34. What offers true protection? What does God tell? What, is, what was God upset with his people at this time that we can take and extract from this prophecy, this, these visions of Ezekiel? What can we extract from here to understand what God expects of his people in protecting themselves? Ezekiel chapter 34. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. God's warning here against Judah was that the people were not being fed. They were obviously, as he says back at the beginning, they were feeding themselves. They were not feeding the flock. So the people were not being fed. And secondly, they were not being cared for. We see after he talks about being fed, he talks about how they were not strengthened. They, they did not help heal the sick. They did not mend the broken. They drove people away. They didn't seek what was lost. So not only were they malnourished, they were not being fed. They were not even being cared for. And as such, because of this, and he specifically rates it into this, therefore, surely because my flock became a prey, this allowed them, by not being fed and by not being cared for, the flock became a prey, and they were easily snatched up by the enemy. They became food for every beast of the field. Anyone who wanted to come by, those people became ready food for their enemies. 
chapter 18 of Ezekiel. We'll spend a little bit of time in Ezekiel, and then we'll move on. But chapter 18 of Ezekiel. Let's again continue to look at what God's expectations were of righteous people, what offers true protection. Ezekiel chapter 18. Verse 4. Verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, if he has not rest- but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, if he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes, and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just, and he shall surely live, says the Lord God. Obedience to truth and caring for each other are clearly established here as what God expects of righteous people. He talks here about if a man is just, if he does what is lawful and right. That encapsulates this truth part part of, the, of protection. And following God's laws, not defiling his neighbor's wife. Restoring the debt to the debtor. This is part truth because it's listed in law, but it's also caring for each other. So as God lists here through Ezekiel what he expects of righteous people, it is to follow him and care for each other. Simply put, simply boiled down. Let's go back to verse 1 and see this interaction between God and the people. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, What, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. God is hearing this from his people, that the fathers have eaten sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. He's quoting here, we won't turn there because it's a quote, from Jeremiah 31 verse 29 and also from Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 7. What the people are saying is this, we know what you spoke through Jeremiah, not that long ago. We know this proverb that was written in, by Jeremiah in his two writings. That these times are a result of what our forefathers did. You wrote that through Jeremiah. We, we can't take any, any blame for this. This is all a result of what our forefathers did. Our forefathers made these choices. Our forefathers set up uh, false idol worship that led to your curses. We can't take any blame for this. That you wrote that you said this through the, the, the through your, your prophet. This is not our fault. God is saying here, as I live, verse three, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Stop blaming others, he says. Each of us has a part to play in protecting the community. We all have a part to play in making sure our community is protected. Stop blaming the forefathers. Stop blaming generations past that may have made decisions that have led to this. Stop blaming anybody but yourselves. No longer are you allowed to. I gave that proverb. I gave it to Jeremiah. I don't want to hear it anymore. Don't, don't even use it. I don't want to hear this. We all have the opportunity and the obligation to protect the community. We see that when you flip forward to verse 19. He continues with this retracting this proverb that, he, that, he, that Jeremiah had spoken, saying he didn't want to hear that anymore. Verse 19, Yet you say, Why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and, obser- and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Every generation has the opportunity to stop the insanity. Remember 20 years ago or 30 years ago, there was this infomercial with this big tall lady, Susan Powder, I think her name was, stop the insanity. Every generation has the opportunity to stop the insanity, to put a stop to it, to stop blaming previous generations, and to live right. And when the, the first generation lives right, God has promised he will take care of them. 
we all have the responsibility to protect the community. We all have the responsibility to develop these walls of protection in, in protecting the truth, the word of God, and in protecting each other to provide, to ensure our walls are sturdy and that they provide safety. How do we do this? By committing to truth. By committing ourselves. We, we say this time and again, but by committing to truth and by committing to each other. Our community will not be defiled by accepting anything other than God's word as truth. We won't be defiled if, all, if what we've committed to is accepting this book as the source for our truth. We can't be defiled. If it is not in here, we don't accept it. And our community will not be defiled by each other. If we have this mindset, if we have this mindset that we will not let our community be defiled by accepting anything other than what is in this book, and if we have the mindset that when we are, when we are in this community, we will not let anything defile what is here, that is protecting the community. That is protecting each other. That is building strong walls of protection. Let's go forward a couple of pages to chapter 22 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22. When that is our mindset, that we live by this book and we live for each other, nothing can harm us. We may be harmed physically. We may have something come over from Paris, from Europe, from the Middle East, in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, who knows what. We will not be hurt long-term, spiritually, and what really matters. We may have our lives hurt, as we heard in various sermons, but we have this mindset that this is truth. We live by this and for here. We cannot be harmed. Ezekiel 22, verse 6. Look, the princes of Israel, each one of you, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have opposed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. In you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. In you are those who eat on the mountains. In your midst they commit lewdness. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. And in you they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Behold, therefore, I beat my fists at the dishonest profit which you have made and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure and can your hands remain strong in the days when I, I shall deal with you? I, the Lord God, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among the mountains, disperse you through the, community, the countries, and remove your filthiness complete from you. You shall defile yourself in the sight of the nations. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. There's nothing else that can harm us. We have complete protection if we protect our minds. We go through here. We go through what God listed here. If we follow his laws, you despise my holy things and have profaned my Sabbaths. If we keep this book as the basis for how we live our lives, and if we look after each other, if we don't, these were horrible sins that are listed here. And they may come this way. They may come this way. I saw um, on Fox News the day after this all happened, Sean Hannity on Fox News was interviewing an imam from London. And he was on Fox News was very blatant. They're not, they're, they're, you're starting to see the increase where he said, we want Sharia law across the world. He was, was out I think Sean Hannity's on 7 or 8 o'clock at night, so it's in prime time. And, and Sean Hannity would not let him off the hook, saying, if this is Sharia, this is what you want, how, how you treat women. That, that's what we want. So, so as we see this coming, we, as we consider these walls of protection, these spiritual walls of protection, that we are protected by this and we are protected by here, we don't have to be worried. We have complete protection if we protect our minds with God's word 
and if we protect each other from being devoured. All while, working, all while we are working to bring this message to a tired and dying world. So true protection, what, what makes true walls of protection, not these stone walls, but true walls of protection, is ensuring we have truth and we value and protect each other as members of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We went here when we talked about the temple. I'd like to return here to look at a couple of verses that's related, but looking at it from just a different angle. How are, how are we building our walls? We focused on the temple, the fact that we're individual temples of God, that as a community we are a communal temple of God, so to speak. We see that here in verse 9, which we covered in that sermon. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. So this is talking about the building of the temples, which is related but not specific for this message. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work and what, of what sort it is. It matters how we build. How we build matters. We can't listen to those that say, you know what, everything's okay. Peace, peace. Everything will be fine. Everybody relax. Everything will be fine. But not in that way. Not, not in the way that they're saying. It matters how we build. It matters that we don't daub our walls with chalk. That we don't, by discount, paint. And that we don't take lightly the building of our protection. Let's review some of our recent history for a few minutes here in some of the messages that we have heard. It's important that, what we, that when we hear a message, that when we are gathered here to hear the word of God, it's not simply a sermon, but part of the truths that God is teaching us through his leaders that becomes part of the strength that solidifies our walls. This isn't just a one-hour getaway, have a coffee, come here, hear what we have to say, throw your notebook in your bag, and go home. What we hear from God through his leaders needs to become part of who we are. Needs to become needs to be tempered. This mortar needs to take time to temper. We can't throw the chalk on, come here, daub ourselves in chalk, and go home and feel good. We need to review these things. Pastor Adrian's eerily timed message on the truth about Islam and its looming goal to take their way of life globally has taken another step this week. And I, I don't want to be a fear monger. I'm, when I heard that message, it woke my eyes up to what the reality was. We like to live our nice, cushy, uh, cushy little lives here and our nice little group here and have our nice cars to go to church and the food that we go buy. And life is great. Life is easy. But to see it happen and to hear these people talk just the way he said it was, just the way he takes it, he took from the pages of the Quran, from the writings of Muhammad, and to see every couple of weeks something else happened. Those, those uh, young guys from Paris, as I understand, came out fighting. This is, they were not even trying to protect their own lives. They came out fighting and wanted to die. This is a mentality that we simply can't relate to, where they are, they are, they are rewarded in their minds, spiritually, in, in their religion, by dying. So when we try to, to, to speak to them or our governments try to, to interact with them and, and try to work out a peace, our governments don't understand that they're from a completely different mindset. It was, it was enlightening to hear Prime Minister Harper this week come out and say, this is a declaration of war on anyone who does not believe the way they do. To imagine a Canadian leader a leader of the Western world, but from Canada, one of the most liberal countries on earth, came out and said, this is a declaration of war, was, was stunning. Brother Rick's message a few weeks ago on being zealous for God, 
and not being complacent by becoming more acceptable to the changing conditions around us. We can allow ourselves to become complacent and just sort of adapt to what's around us. His message reminded us to be zealous for God, not to be complacent, to take this seriously. We can extend this message to see the warnings here against the priests, against the leaders and the people. God addresses the priests, the princes or the leaders, and the people in his messages. All are responsible for the safety of the group. Everyone is responsible for the safety of the group. And security starts from within. The forces would not have succeeded against Israel and Judah had they remained faithful to God. God was clear. Because you're not faithful, because you're disobedient, and because you don't care for each other, I'm going to, let the, I'm going to, I'm going to use the walls that were there for your protection to crush you. The very walls that you, that you had made to protect, I will use in reverse. Pastor Adrian's final study a few weeks ago, which I wasn't here, but I heard recapping the book of Hebrews. The main lesson of the entire book was to warn against faithlessness and encourage Christians to stand strong in the face of persecution, as so many others have done. We don't have a life of persecution right now, but we need to, to, to temper this mortar to, to make this a part of us so that when it comes, whether it's next year, five years, after we die, and it's our, it's our young people that are leading the way, we can't forget that we heard these words from behind here, that God spoke through his leaders to strengthen us, to make these things part of our character so that we can stand strong like these walls. Our family fellowship group, our family fellowship group that is dedicating the next number of months to becoming a stronger congregation through the study of I am a church member. Not to make ourselves feel good, not to read this book and go, this is a very nice book. I think there's some good points in here. But to understand that whatever it takes to build our, to build our family, to make it strong so that we can withstand whatever comes, whenever it does, it may not come in our lifetime. But it may. And we need to be strong and ready for whenever that does. Please don't simply come to hear a sermon and go home. Review these messages so that they become part of our character. Not because they're messages from, from men, but hold up the Bible to the messages that you hear. Look at them in here. And if you find, if, if what is said from behind here, you can find in the Bible, that needs to become part of our character. That needs to be part of the, the, what tempers the mortar that, that makes us strong. Allow them to be part of the mortar that secures our walls of protection. For it to be protective, mortar needs time to temper. You don't throw up a wall, slap the cement on, and then it's done. It takes time to cure. It takes time to set. Just like we don't read our Bibles on our own, study on our own, read it once, and forget about it. We don't come and hear a message, throw it in the bag, and forget about it. It takes time to digest and review and review. That's why some of the things that we hear from here, well, I've heard that before. We've been around a long time. There's going to be very little new stuff that we hear. We might see something from a different angle. We might see something new over here. But it's good to hear things over and over and over again. For truth to become a part of us, it needs our time and our attention. This is why it is good for us to constantly review. Every sermon doesn't need to be something new or something profound. Review and going back over things helps the mortar temper and become part of us. It helps it become part of our walls of protection. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As we've covered many, many, many months ago, probably near the beginning, I think, or before that, maybe, the Sermon on the Mount, which is, you can't find those words in Scripture, but Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as Christ began his ministry, amounts to Christianity 101. It's like a synopsis, a Coles Notes version of Christ's ministry. Before, we've called it a, like a synopsis or a syllabus when you get at the start of a class. But it's like a Coles Notes version. If you want to know what Christianity is all about, but you don't have the wherewithal or the time to get through the, the entire Gospels, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and that will give you the gist of what Christianity is all about, what, the, what Christ came to teach. Verse, chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Christ's point was that he was coming to show us truth. He was coming to show us the right way to live. And if we hear, whoever hears this and simply obeys, we heard trust and obey we sang, and we hear and we do them, it is like building our house on a rock. It is like using solid building materials, true building materials, building materials that will not fail. Or if we hear and we choose to listen to something else, Everything will be fine. There's no need to panic. Don't worry. We don't need to follow this. Your God doesn't exist. Follow any God as long as you follow something. That is like building our house on sand. It is like using chalk dust to put our walls together. And we know we don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that that rock is Christ. The word of God, whether in written form or in personage form, is what we build with. It's part of what we build with. Revelation chapter 19. Again, focusing on the fact that truth and community, truth and each other, is what offers us protection. Revelation chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1. After these things... I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, and hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. So again, looking forward to the end of this road. And I heard it, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your, of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is at the heart of what we read here? The true sayings of God, the testimonies of Jesus Christ, truth, and the righteous acts of the saints, each other, what we do with each other, truth and ourselves are found at the heart of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We won't read any of Ephesians chapter 6, but I want to draw our attention to the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. When we go through this and we check off what is listed as the armor of God, notice how much it is completely based on truth. We're not going to read it, but let's review. Well, I guess we're going to have to read it. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Truth, righteousness, the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, with which you will be able to protect yourselves. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. Truth. We're protected by truth. Plain and simple. Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25. Verse 28. Proverbs 25 and verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit. Proverbs 25 verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, we typically use the city with it broken down without walls to understand what it's like for one who has no rule over his own spirit. Let's look at it in reverse. A city without walls is like someone who has no control over themselves, someone who can't protect themselves from themselves. So we have no, when, we, our, when our city has no, has no walls of protection, we're like someone who just can't keep themselves under control who can't, can't, can't guide their own steps. Sturdy walls of protection offer stability to God's people. And when they're based on truth and each other, we can see how we can't be shaken. Hosea chapter 10. Let's go to the prophet Hosea. Verse 13, Hosea chapter 10, verse 13. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your mighty men. When we trust in our own way ourselves, when we don't follow God, we reap we reap, we reap the rewards. Therefore, tumult shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be plundered. That, if we don't follow God and take care of each other, not even those walls are enough to protect us. Our fortresses will be plundered. As Shalman plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle, a mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness, at the dawn, the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. Our protection is so important that we build our walls right. But let's go back to verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So I'll... Here's all the things we don't with that. If we do this, our walls will, will, will fall. Sow for yourselves righteousness, truth, and reap in mercy each other. We can't be merciful to ourselves. We need people to be merciful to. We need people to be merciful to us. We need people to offer our mercy to. Mercy comes in the form of being around others. So sow for ourselves righteousness, and do it in mercy. It's the same message from front to back. It doesn't matter where in the narrative, where in the timeline you go. The messages continue to be the same. So while it seems like we're covering the same things over and over, it's important that we hear this. It's important that I hear this. I hope it's important that you hear this. That as we continue to see the world change, that we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. Follow God and look after each other. It's, it's, no matter where you find the, the, the timeline, that's what you will hear God telling us. Back to Ezekiel 22. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but we see no matter where we turn, it's the same message. Follow God and take care of each other. Verse 26 of Ezekiel 22. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. 
nor have they made known the difference between the clean and the unclean. It makes a difference to God. To hear, as is said previously in Ezekiel, to hear, you know, peace, 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 everything will be fine. No, it makes a difference to God. We must distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey. So forget protection from without. We're talking here about protection from within. That's what looking after each other, why it is so important. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar. Her prophets whitewashed things. It'll be fine. Throw a little chalk dust on, make it, yeah, it looks like that. That's, it, looks, it looks pretty strong. Seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. Blatant disregard for God's ways and a blatant disregard for the people of God. What does God want? Verse 30. I sought for a man among them. Anyone. Anyone. Who would make a wall. And stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. Somebody stand up and protect the people. Somebody stand up and make a wall. Somebody quit using chalk. Somebody quit using whitewash and make a wall that protects the people. Anyone, anyone, stand up and protect the people. God wants people to bridge this gap and make a wall of protection for his people. We will continue to talk about this as we move forward. The vision, hang on one second, Caitlin. The vision and the mission of the church rests on God's word. How we teach it, how we study it, how we accept it, and how it becomes a part of us. It also rests on the safe environment that we aim to build and protect. Because we cannot take God's ways lightly. Can you flip the slide? I saw this. Offers a bit of humor. You may have seen this. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. It is important that we take God's ways seriously. We cannot take them lightly. City walls have long offered people, communities, cities and nations protection from outside forces. Symbolically, we must also build from a position of strength. Our faith in the word of God and in the Holy Spirit that leads us and brings us together is the strength that will keep us from being sideswiped. We do not need to lose faith as this world continues to decline. We don't need to worry. We don't need to lose faith. The events of this week should come as no surprise. Eventually, we won't be surprised. It'll just be something else. This is the news today. Where did, where did it happen today is what we'll come home and ask. Not, did something happen? Where today? France? England? Florida? Toronto? Where did it happen today? We do not need to lose faith as this world continues to, to decline. Prime Minister Harper acknowledging that the events in Paris is a declaration, here's the quote, a declaration of war on anyone who does not think and, ex- and act exactly in the way that they think and they act shouldn't scare us. Our own society that undermines, never mind that society, our own society that undermines the word of God and places no value in it shouldn't unnerve us. Satan is working hard from without and from within. Let's finish in Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. In that day, verse 1 of Isaiah 26, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. 
God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord God forever. For in Yah, Yahweh, the Lord, is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground and he brings it down to dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just, yes, in the way of your judgments. O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early, for when your judgments are in the earth. The inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked. It's not just about truth. There, there is grace involved here, mercy, how we treat people. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly, and he will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their, for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. We have all we need in terms of protection, God's word and each other. Let's take neither for granted, but let's continue to focus on these two areas as we build our temples for God and we guard them with our walls of protection. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.